Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. This week on the podcast, we will be looking at the age-old adage that all that glitters is not gold as we look at the latest development at a gold mine in Papua New Guinea and China's involvement. We have possible good news for environmentalists as Shenzhen introduces new anti-pollution laws and tries we might we cannot avoid TikTok in the latest U.S.-China tensions. With all the latest business news, here's what's been happening in China this week. First, let's get the TikTok story out of the way. In yet another twist in the ongoing TikTok US-China saga that could date this weekly podcast very quickly, China has updated its technology export restrictions, which means that any sale of TikTok's US operations may require the Chinese government's approval. According to the update, software of the type that makes TikTok tick must now get a government nod before export. Although much of the attention is focused on what the new rules mean for TikTok, the new regulations also mean DJI technology, the world's biggest drone manufacturer, with an estimated 70% of the global market, will also need government approval before it can export its drones. DJI told Caixin that it must unconditionally comply with the decision and that it is still assessing the impact on its business. China's tensions aren't just rising in its relations with the U.S. Things continue to heat up between the world's two population billionaires. India has banned 118 more China-owned mobile applications in a further move to curb Chinese tech companies amid a worsening border dispute. Some of China's most popular apps are on the new restricted list released last week by India's Ministry of Electronics and Information Technology, including e-commerce giant Alibaba Group Holdings Taobao, Ant Group's widely used payment service Alipay, Tencent Holdings popular game player unknown's Battlegrounds or PUBG, and Baidu's search service. The latest app ban would be a blow to Tencent as its Battle Royale game PUBG Mobile, counts on India for more than a quarter of lifetime installs, according to research firm Sensor Tower. In other international news, a Papua New Guinea court dealt a fresh blow to China's largest gold producer, 
Zijin Mining Group by refusing to review a government takeover of the $1 billion a year gold mine Zijin and Canadian partner Barrick Gold Corporation operated there until earlier this year. It's the latest development in a lengthy appeal dispute that started in April when the PNG government denied an application from Barrick New Genie Limited, BNL, Zijin's local joint Zijin's local joint venture, to extend its lease on the Porgera gold mine. This annou- the announcement by PNG Prime Minister Joseph Marape to take over the mine was couched in nationalistic rhetoric, and Zijin President Chen Jinghe appeared to threaten geopolitical strife in a letter to the PNG leader asking him to consider the impact the actions could have on the country's relations with China. Continuing with the international theme, the yuan could remain strong against the U.S. dollar well into 2021, according to analysts Tsai Xin spoke to. On Thursday, September 3rd, China's central bank set the yuan's daily reference rate at 6.8319 to the U.S. dollar, the highest point since May last year, the highest point since May last year, and up about 4.2% since this year's low point in May. The recent depreciation of the Chinese currency against the U.S. dollar has been caused by various factors, analysts said, including the Asian country's economic recovery, the greenback's general weakness, and growing interest rate gaps between asset denominated and growing interest rate gaps between assets denominated in the two currencies. Some economists said policymakers could be more tolerant of yuan appreciation this time than before, as better than expected exports may ease their concerns over the downsides of appreciation. Closer to home, but with an international slant, China's banking regulator on Thursday approved a Japanese company to set up the first fully foreign-owned money broker on the Chinese mainland as the country continues to open up its financial markets. Tokyo and Osaka-based moneylender Ueda Yagi Tanshi needs to establish the new company in Beijing within six months of the approval, the regulator said. In China, a money broker provides intermediary services including facilitating fundraising, bond trading, and foreign exchange trading among financial institutions. In domestic news, East China's Zhejiang province has revealed plans of how it will tap into China's very lucrative university market. The province plans to spend 5 billion yuan, approximately $731 million, to attract top universities from home and abroad to set up satellite branches in the province by 2022 in a move to boost the wealthy province's higher education competitiveness. Up to 500 million yuan can be spent on establishing a new university, 300 million yuan on a branch of a prestigious university, 150 million yuan on a secondary college, and 100 million yuan for a graduate school, according to a statement jointly published by the Provincial Finance and Education Authorities last week. However, experts warned that luring in elite universities will not necessarily result in development of the local educational system. In more domestic news, the Shenzhen government has given the green light for legal action to stop environmental destruction from October 1st. The new regulations, approved by the Standing Committee of the Shenzhen Municipal People's Congress, the city's top decision-making body, 
will allow public prosecutors, government departments, and NGOs to sue illegal polluters and terminate ongoing environmental destruction. Shenzhen will also establish a public welfare fund to cover anti-pollution lawsuit costs and repair illegal ecological damage. The fund will consist of compensation from violators and community donations. The hope is that Shenzhen will serve as a trailblazer for China's national legislation on such lawsuits known as Environmental Public Interest Litigations, EPILs, according to the Shenzhen government website. And finally, China's services activity again expanded at a solid pace in August, though slightly slower than the previous month, a Caixin-sponsored survey showed Wednesday. Employment in the sector grew for the first time since January. The Caixin China General Services Business Activity Index, which gives an independent snapshot of operating conditions in the service sector, fell to 54 last month from 54.1 in July. The index has been in expansionary territory for four months in a row, though it has come down from a decade high in June. A number above 50 indicates an expansion in activity, while a figure below that points to a contraction. Let's turn out to Doug Young for his pick of the story of the week. How are you, Doug? Hi, Kaiser. Well, the big story of the week I want to look at this week is a story I look at maybe maybe more often than I should, but it's in the headlines a lot because of the U.S.-China tech wars. And this is actually about a company that a lot of our listeners may not even know. Uh, it's a company called Oppo, but it's a company people may know very soon uh, for reasons which I'll explain in a sec. Um, Oppo is basically, I think it's the, the, it's, it's the world's fourth biggest smartphone maker, either the fourth or fifth biggest uh, behind Apple, Samsung, and Huawei. Uh, but it's also a rival of Huawei because they're both from China. And the news here is that uh, Taishin has learned that Oppo is suddenly sharply boosting its output, uh, its, its expected sales essentially for smartphones this year. Um, they've ordered 110 million smartphones in the second half of the year, which is up quite a bit. Uh, it's only, they only made 60 million in the first half of the year. So we're looking at talking about maybe 170 million. They think they can sell 170 million smartphones this year. And again, this is globally, China and the rest of the world. Uh, and that's actually quite a large shift from what they've been doing the last three years, which is about 100, 110 million uh, phones. So we're talking about a 70% rise in production. And, and yet at the same time, uh, the smartphone market globally is, is shrinking this year because of COVID-19. So clearly they are seeing something happening there. And, and basically what they're seeing happening there is Huawei, which is currently, actually, I think Huawei took the number one spot in the world for smartphones. Uh, but most people don't think that's going to last long because Huawei is being just totally squeezed by the U.S. And people are predicting they're going to run out of smartphone chips, uh, their, their own smartphone chips and other smartphone chips by about the beginning of next year. So people are interpreting this to look like Oppo is basically saying, hey, this is our opportunity. Let's pounce on Huawei, uh, get them while they're down, and, and basically building up their war chest uh, so that they can move in as, as Huawei is sort of this injured animal. And, you know, they're going to face some real problems starting next year when they don't have chips to make their cell phones. 
Sounds like this company's golden opportunity. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Uh, business is brutal, though, in China. Uh, this looks like they're really kicking Huawei when they're down. Is this really the end of the road for Huawei, at least in handsets? Well, this is like the $100 million question. Is it the end for Huawei? Uh, Oppo certainly seems to think it is. Um, I think the big wild card in all of this is, is going to be the U.S. election. Uh, obviously, Donald Trump has just shown he's just gone relentless against Huawei. Uh, first, they went after Huawei's suppliers in the U.S. Then they went after the chip companies because Huawei uses a third-party manufacturer to make its chips. They went after that company, which happens to be in Taiwan, uh, but they found ways to get the Taiwan company to cut ties with Huawei. Now they're going after some other companies that just make more generic chips that Huawei could use and again, basically stopping them from, from selling to Huawei. So basically everybody who makes half decent chips is, is being told by the US not to sell to Huawei, basically under threat of, of losing their access to US uh, chip making equipment because most of the big chip making equipment comes from the US. So that's what the US is doing. Um, if Donald Trump loses the election, I'd say if Donald Trump wins, then, you know, I don't see any reason why they would stop this policy. And, and Huawei really is going to be in serious trouble come, you know, the start of next year when it runs out of chips. Uh, if Trump loses, then, you know, the big question will be what's Biden, who would obviously be the winner if Trump loses, uh, what would Biden do? And my personal feeling is, you know, some of these China policies he would probably continue, but... Uh, I, I don't know. I think there's probably a decent chance that they could change their position on Huawei. But then again, don't forget, Biden won't take office if he wins. He wouldn't take office until January. And by the time things settle down, uh, it could be too late for Huawei. So we'll just have to wait and see. And so gazing into that crystal ball, what's the smartphone landscape in China looking like to you in the near future? Well, like I said, it'll probably depend on the outcome of the election. I, I just don't see any way Huawei is going to be able to stay in the market. Uh, you know, even with a Biden win, they're just going to, they're already retreating from the global market because they've lost access to Android and, and specifically the Google Play Store support it needs. Um, they're still producing in China and, you know, and the Chinese will keep, promoting them and, and Chinese will buy their phones out of maybe patriotic feelings. But, you know, once the quality of these phones starts to go down, you know, Chinese want value for their products as well. They're not just going to keep buying a product to support uh, the home company if it's just because it's the home company. So, you know, I, I really do think it probably looks pretty dire for Huawei. I personally wouldn't be surprised if a year from now they drop out of the top five smartphone companies, uh, you know, whether or not they'll be able to keep, keep producing and, and stay alive as a company is, is probably uh, the bigger question. Um, then on the other side of the table is, is, you know, these companies like Oppo, uh, there's another Chinese company called Vivo, and then even Apple, this could be a, a golden opportunity for Apple because Huawei really is, well, and Samsung as well. Huawei, biggest rivals are probably Samsung and Apple because they all produce sort of higher end smartphones. So 
I wouldn't be surprised if Apple is doing something similar, i.e., you know, boosting their their smartphone production in anticipation of problems at Huawei and and likewise with Samsung. So I'd say, you know, come this time next year, the probably Apple and and Samsung might be at the top and and Oppo could be a strong number 3. Well, I would note that Apple has its own uncertainties in China due to the unpredictable China policies of the Trump administration as well. Uh, if they really do prohibit Apple from offering Weixin or WeChat in China on on Chinese Apple I, I, on Chinese Apple app stores, who in China is going to want an iPhone? Um, anyway, anyway, that's something to think about. Uh, thanks a lot, Doug, and I look forward to speaking with you next time on the show. Okay, thanks a lot, Kaiser. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and Nandini Venkata with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin and to Marcus Ryder of Caixin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. Be sure to check out the other shows in the Seneca Network on SubChina and for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to SubChina Access for the daily newsletter. Find us at subchina.com. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.